Are you ready? They think you can tell us what to do. You think you can tell us what to wear. You think that you're better. Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. Break it down. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Brandon Navera, your host of the Life of an Average Joe podcast, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 1, 2021, folks. It's a new year. It's January. We are here. We made it through 2020, although looking at this last week in January, it doesn't look like we're going to get too far into the new year before chaos ensues. Uh, But we're going to skip over that. We're done. We're not talking about that. It is a new season of the Life of an Average Joe podcast. And I want to say thank you for everybody that made last year something special as far as my podcast goes. Uh, You guys have been awesome. Uh, The support has been epic. And I really appreciate it. So I need to get a couple things out of the way before we dive in to the new episode. Number one, I am extremely tired right now. I am beyond tired. Like... I want to get this podcast done with, even though I'm excited about it, and go to bed. (laughs) I I don't see that happening in the future, uh, but uh, I look forward to the time that I can lay my head on a pillow, close my eyes, and disappear for a couple hours. That's going to be awesome because I feel like right now I've been up for 17 days um, and not having fun doing it. Although that's not entirely true. I have been having fun the last couple days, but... Anyway, I digress. Also, David Bowie's birthday. Happy birthday, David Bowie. Elvis, happy birthday to you too, but I'm a Bowie guy, so happy birthday to David Bowie. I was supposed to be at the Granada tonight, actually, uh, for the uh, David Bowie birthday celebration. You know, I went last year. uh, No, two years ago, I think I went. um, Because I don't know if I went. I doubt that I would have gone with my wife last January when we were in the middle of divorce. That just doesn't seem right. So two years ago, I went to the birthday celebration of David Bowie at sundown at the Granada with the White Dukes, and it was a phenomenal time. Supposed to go tonight, uh, but uh, life happens, and and here we are. So instead, I'm doing season three, episode one of the Life of an Average Joe podcast. And based off the music, look, if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to explain it to you. If you do know what that is, then you are very awesome and you're in my cool book and I'm writing your name down right now, but um, we're on the same page. So today we're here to talk about wrestling, wrestling, good old professional wrestling, folks. I can already see some of you rolling your eyes right now. I can hear you guys clicking to find a better podcast. I'm telling you right now, listen, who cares? If you don't like wrestling, listen to it. But everybody out there has some sort of experience with professional wrestling. Either you watched it at one point, you went to the shows, you knew somebody who did, you had a brother that did, you had a a dad that did, a son that did. It's been around forever. I mean, professional wrestling has been around forever. And the WWF has been the name of the game for the longest time. Doesn't mean that there hasn't been others. And I'm not going to, this, this is not an episode that is about the history of professional wrestling. I think that'd be a fun episode and maybe I'll go on somebody else's podcast and do that. This is about my experiences in the professional wrestling world. And I want to start off from when I was a kid. You know, obviously being a boy growing up in the eighties, um, you had a lot of things that were big. Saturday morning cartoons were huge. I wish they were that way now. It was a dedicated time to where you would get up in the morning and you would have car blanche, you'd have a hall pass from your parents to watch cartoons for a couple hours, give or take. Typically because you would, that would be a day that they would try to sleep in. So as long as you were old enough, you could get up and entertain yourself. I was privileged to do that. They didn't always sleep in, but they did a few times. And I was privileged to be able to watch my cartoons, Muppet Babies, things like that. 
Um, <clears throat> there's all kinds of cartoons. But then after cartoons, I would go to Pee Wee's Playhouse back in the day, Pee Wee, yes, Pee Wee Herman. And then it would go to WWF. This was back when they were WWF before they got sued by the World uh, Wildlife uh, Federation years later and had to change to WWE. It would come on. Superstars. WWF superstars. And I was hooked from, I don't know the exact age because I'm old and I can't remember it, but I was hooked on superstars. Seeing the intro, hearing the music, seeing a, who was going to be on superstars today? Who were they going to wrestle? And typically superstars was like an exhibition show. You know, you'd have the main event, so you'd have some big name versus some mid-card guy, some B-team. But most of the time, it was a recap of what was going on in other shows across the country. And it was also just a display of what the WWE had to offer. So, for example, if Hulk Hogan was on there, he'd fight John Smith from Dayton, Ohio. We all knew that he was going to win. But it would further the storylines. And I would watch it every Saturday. And I would learn everything I could about the WWF from, from that, from that show, or when they would do the special events. This is, before, you know, right around the time when they were breaking into pay-per-view. Because pay-per-view, you got to look at back, you got to look at the, the platforms and you got to look at where everybody was back in the day as far as cable goes. Cable was not a common thing. Most people did not have cable, at least the people I knew. If you had cable, you were privileged because it was, a very, it was very special. It's not like how it is today where you pay a bunch of money for nothing. It meant something back then. So if you had cable, that was a big deal. Pay-per-views, WWF was one of the first pay-per-view events that they had, that they had ever done. And that wasn't there just yet. It was getting there. It was coming very close, but it wasn't there just yet. So you either had to watch it on TV, superstars, go to a show when it came to your area or your territory, or drive to a show, or when they would do Saturday night's main event, which came after the pay-per-views um, leading up to it. And that Saturday night's main event was exactly that. It picture, a, 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 picture UFC today when they would do UFC on TV. You'd have some really good fights and then the main event fight would be on regular TV. And you didn't have to pay for it. I mean, I saw Hawk Hogan fight King Kong Bundy in a steel cage on main, Saturday night's main event. Stayed up late to watch it. And that's how I would get my wrestling information. The internet wasn't even thought of yet. I mean, at least not in my brain. I couldn't comprehend that. The computers we had were all this DOS mode, Atari-looking nonsense, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't like you could go search and, you know, find, you know, follow somebody on Instagram or go to WWE's website and, and find out what was going on. You had to watch the shows or go to the shows or buy the wrestling magazines. Now, I had a subscription to WWF Magazine. WWF Illustrated, I believe it was called. I don't know if that's true. I think it was just called WWF Magazine. I still have some to this day. Um, or you could go buy the Pro Wrestling Insider and all the Pro Wrestling Magazines and catch up on all the latest news. Who was coming to the WWE, WWF? Who, was gonna, who were they going to fight next? What did Hawk Hogan have to say about his recent loss? That's how you kept up on all of it. There wasn't access to the media like we have now. Of course, this is the 80s, early 90s. We didn't have that. So religiously, every Saturday, I would watch. I mean, I would make it my best effort to watch that. If we were out of town, I would try to watch that. Now, what, what became cool was, if I missed it, sometimes they would redo it on Sundays. Of course, if I wasn't going to church, I could watch it. Or if I got home from church early enough, I could catch the last part of it. But that's how I got my taste. And I was into it. My friends were into it. My family was into it. Um, not my dad or mom, obviously. I mean, my dad watched it sometimes with me as a kid. But, I mean, I know he didn't care about it. Um, my papa 
cared about it so much that he used to have to leave the room because it would stress him out too much and he was worried about his heart. My grandma was into it. My papa and grandma went to shows long before WWF was even formed and saw some of these guys wrestle. You know, they paid a dollar for both of them to go to a show, sit in a wooden chair and watch these guys wrestle. So I guess it's in my blood. Plus, it really is geared toward guys, especially back then. It's more diverse now, but it's geared towards guys and boys. I mean, you got these superhuman guys. You've got these larger-than-life figures bashing each other's brains in, yelling, talking, testosterone storylines. I mean, what boy wouldn't want to watch that or do it? And I was no different. Well, I remember, and I, I wish, you know, I, I should have asked my dad before I did this podcast, uh, the details of this, if he even remembered. Um, but for some, whatever, they were coming to Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit. WWF was coming to Joe Lewis Arena for a house show. Now, they didn't call them house shows back then. They were just coming for a show. And when they came for a show, it was a big deal because, again, that was one of the only ways that you could watch it. So when they came to the show, uh, Joe Lewis Arena, and I don't even know if I mentioned it to my dad at first um, because they would advertise. You know, if you were watching WWF superstars or w you know on a saturday and you were in that city that was about to have a show they would have a specific commercial geared towards your area your territory that would tell you when they were going to come so i may have seen that i may have i may have actually you know it's possible i may have watched that commercial and mentioned it to my dad we got to go all i know is he bought tickets to joe lewis arena and I was thrilled. I was so excited. And he told me, look, they're not the best seats. They're up there. But who cares? I'm going to watch Hawk Hogan wrestle. And I remember going to Joe Louis Arena. And we were, you know, we were, we were living, I think we were living in Canton at the time, which is outside of Detroit. And I remember being in Joe Louis Arena. And this may have been my first time in Joe Louis Arena. And I remember being there and it's crowded. I remember it being cold out and my dad held on to me tight because we're down in Detroit. Not great area, uh, not a great city to begin with. I mean, I love you, Detroit. But during this particular time, it had its moments. Um, But I remember walking in and just being crowded, crowded, packed and crazy. People are drinking, yelling. And my dad told me, you know, you cheer for who you want to cheer for. Don't worry about what everybody else says. You know, because I was thinking to myself, I got very emotional. I got very attached to these guys. And if somebody was dissing and talking trash or, or booing against my guy, I was going to get pissed. You know, and I was a kid, so I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know what to work or how to, you know, what to expect, how to work the crowd. But it was, the main event was Hulk Hogan versus Kamala. Kamala was this big, giant monster, supposedly from Africa, okay? And he had smashed Hulk Hogan up before. They always loved finding these bigger guys to fight Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan, you got to remember, he's a big dude. Even if you look at him now, like just recently, he was on Monday Night Raw. He is a big dude. Now, he may not be as muscular as he was back in the day. He's also old. But you stand next to him, and I have. He is a monster. So they would always, you know, Vince Love, Vince McMahon, the owner of WWE, loved to put big dudes against Hulk Hogan. You know, because it was like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to destroy Hulk Hogan. And that's why he put him against King Kong Bundy and the Ultimate Warrior and Andre the Giant and all these big guys. Well, the Kamala was no different. And I remember watching this show, waiting for Hogan to come out. And I watched the women's matches, and Jake the Snake Robert was there. Honky Tonk Man was there. Um, uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka was there. I think even Captain Lou Albano was there. He wasn't wrestling, though. Um, uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was there. Macho Man Randy Savage was not there at the time. But it came down to Hogan 
And these drunk guys three rows behind me are booing and yelling. And I was pissed. But I didn't care because I stood up. I stood up the entire time. And we were up there. My dad brought binoculars. And they, they had a pretty decent sized TV to look at it. My dad brought binoculars so we could see. And I don't even think I used them because I could make out Hogan's you know, yellow shirt and yellow trunks and blonde hair and his giant monstrous muscles fighting Kamala. And I yelled and I yelled the whole time and cheered and I never sat down. And I remember my dad told me, you got to sit down so people can see. And I was like, I don't give a crap, you know, and I just stayed up and it was insane. And all that did was feed into my fire, the, the, the fuel for my WWF passion. And I continued and I went to shows beyond that and got pay-per-views and, and the pay-per-views were a big deal back then. They weren't cheap. You know, now WWE has its own network. You pay like nine bucks a month. You can watch everything, every program all the time and all the pay-per-views for the year. But back then you're paying like a hundred bucks, 60 bucks, 70 bucks for a pay-per-view. So you better have people get together and, and, and you better know people that are going to do that. And we got a pay-per-view at my grandparents' house before. That was awesome. I think I got, I may have got one at my parents' house, but mostly it was friends. And I'd go over and watch the pay-per-views. And as technology grew and the networks grew, WWE grew or WWF grew. And I followed it religiously. So you fast forward. That was just a little, you know, brief look in, into the history. You fast forward into my teenage years. I'm still into it. I'm in high school. Or maybe some of the people said, hey, this isn't cool anymore. I don't want to be associated with, with it. I was not that guy. I could care less. I openly talked about it. I didn't care what people said. I also knew the biggest thing, the biggest, one of the biggest stupidest things that people say is, well, dude, don't you know it's fake? And it always bothered me. It always bothered me when people said it was fake. Because fake is implying that they're not doing those things that you see. That they're not real athletes. And that's just not true. They are real athletes. It's entertainment. It could be described as a soap opera for men with violence, an ongoing movie, a TV show. These guys beat the crap out of each other. And you, and, and you can't tell me that they didn't get hurt just tell that to Owen Hart, who died on a pay-per-view. Tell that to Mick Foley, who got thrown off the top of a cage, and his tooth, his bottom tooth, went through the upper lip. You know, tell that to Mick Foley when he got stuck in the ring ropes and half of his ear got ripped off. Or tell that to Sabu from ECW, who fell on a chair leg up and his eyeball fell out. I mean... You could say those are freak occurrences, but if you're, if you're not a believer that these things can happen, you need to go on Netflix right now and watch Beyond the Mat. It is a documentary about professional wrestling, and it goes behind the scenes. And it talks about the big boys, WWE, ECW, WCW, and then the, the lower backyard wrestling, which I'll get into in a minute. I mean, it even talks about when The Rock handcuffed Mick Foley and it was an I quit match. Handcuffed Mick Foley, he was mankind at the time, took a steel chair and bashed his head in something like 15 times. Mick Foley had his, the back of his head had chunks of his head missing. I mean, it's insane. So Beyond the Mat is, is a really good documentary. Even if you're not into wrestling, watch it because it's, it's a great documentary. But I always used to get pissed at people, and, and I never fought with them on it. You know, it's like talking politics with a, with a moron. You know, they're going to say their piece, and they're never going to let you tell your piece, and they're never going to even be open to hearing your piece. So typically, you just don't talk to morons about things. So I chose to just ignore them. But I had a group of friends, and a very large group of friends, that felt the same way that I did about wrestling. And we would get together and watch it. And we'd get together and do pay-per-views. We'd get together and go to the shows. And this was right when WWE or WWF was starting to get 
I don't want to say stale, but they were losing something. They had lost a lot of the big boys, the Hogans and the Kevin Nash and Razor Ramon and, and even Bret Hart and, and, and things like that. They lost them to WCW. I had to take a drink, guys, sorry. WCW was World Championship Wrestling. And I was always Team WWF, but I was such a wrestling fan that I'd watch anything. And that's when the Monday, Monday Night Wars started. And the Monday Night Wars was because both shows, Raw, or uh, WWF and WCW, had two shows going head to head. WWF had Monday Night Raw. WCW had Monday Night uh, Nitro. Monday Nitro or whatever. And they'd go head to head and compete with each other for ratings and whatever. Well, WWF was getting slaughtered by WCW. Now, I could get into why and all that, but it caught my attention. Now, I still stuck with WWF, but they were getting slaughtered, 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 slaughtered. But what this did was make for awesome television. So I would be over there, and mind you, this is before DVRs, so I would be recording one show on a VHS tape watching another, or recording both shows, VHS upstairs, VHS downstairs, go back and watch it so I could fast forward. Or sometimes we'd get together, and my buddy Ken, who I've mentioned quite a bit, or some of the guys like Jeremy and Toby, and Brian and some of the other high school guys I used to hang out with, we'd get together and maybe just watch one of them. Hey, let's watch Monday Night Raw right now. And then when it's over, we'll watch WCW Nitro. And these were on school nights, or we'd be on the phone with each other, the landline, like, like a bunch of little girls talking about the show as we watched it. I can't imagine if, if we had the iPhones back then. We would just be FaceTiming each other, you know? Um, but because of that, it made for great television, and it made a great opportunity to see the shows. And Detroit has always been a wrestling hotspot. So we had WCW and WWF coming to Detroit on a regular basis. And I would go to those shows. And we started to meet people and network. So not only did we meet people and network at these shows, and I mean, I can't tell you how many different shows we went to. And I'm not just talking like what they called were house shows. House shows were basically... It was almost like if you went to see a band do a warm-up gig. We're, they're going to play their songs and everything, but it's not going to be the spectacle like a main event or anything. They were still cool, but they would just continue the storylines ultimately leading up for Nitro or Raw or a pay-per-view. Nothing ever really big happened. But they were still fun because you got to see a lot of wrestlers. But we would go to places like the Palace of Auburn Hills because WWF wouldn't go to the Palace. WCW did. And I believe they had an exclusive contract. But I can't tell you, we'd go to WCW on a Friday night. I went to WCW at the Palace of Auburn Hills Friday night, June 25th, 1999. We were Section A, floor, Section A, row one, seat 19. $38 I paid for that ticket. Nowadays, that's a $250 ticket. We would be up at Ticketmaster paying whatever we could pay to get the top-notch seats so we could be in front. We were always in front. I don't want to say always, but I'd say 95% of the time, we were in front. And we would go to WCW. I mean, we drove to Chicago at the United Center where the Bulls play, which, by the way, is in the worst freaking neighborhood in the world. April 16th, Sunday, April 16th, WCW Spring Stampede. We had Section 111, that was one up from the floor, row 18. And we drove from Michigan, which is only four hours away, to Chicago to go see that, that pay-per-view. So we weren't just seeing like little shows here and there. We were spending some serious money. Now on these particular tickets, I paid 50 bucks. 50 bucks though. But we'd go to, w, we'd go to w, WWF at Joe Louis Arena. We'd go to, you know, when they came out with SmackDown, their second show, we would go there. We would go to Ohio to watch them. 
We drove to Canada when they did a Canadian pay-per-view. We were going all over the place. And we started to meet people. And it wasn't just wrestlers. We actually met some more fans of wrestling. But guys that were inspiring wrestlers to be backyard wrestling. And that's exactly what backyard wrestling, what the name is, is what it sounds like. Guys who would set up a ring in their backyard, or in this case, at a park, and put on a wrestling show. No professional training, really. Some of them did, some of them didn't. By professional, I mean they may have paid for a few classes, but nothing, whatever. And put on a show. We met a guy by the name of Steve. His ring name was Sensational Steve Morrison. He was a manager. <laughs> if he hears this, he's going to kill me, but I love the guy. He was a manager of KB Toy Store at 12 Oaks Mall in Novi. Now, KB Toys went out of business a long time ago. But on the side, he was a wrestler. And he had the charisma and he had the look. He was your Brian Pillman-ish style. He could get on the microphone and talk. And he sounded like a professional wrestler. He knew the dialogue. He created a character. And Sensational Steve Morrison was supposed to be the long-lost cousin of Jim Morrison, where he was like a hippie-type wrestler. It's very hard to explain, but... Anyway, we met him because one of my buddies, Jeremy, worked at KB Toy Store, and they started a connection. And Sensational Steve was part of AWOL. It was called Awesome Wrestling of Livonia. <laughs> I still probably have my AWOL shirt floating around here somewhere. Awesome Wrestling of Livonia, and it was backyard wrestling. And this was my, I had heard of backyard wrestling, but I'd never seen it. This is Bush League stuff. You know, there'd be, there'd be underground tapes going around, you know, backyard wrestling across the country. Um, they're almost like scouting tapes at times, and then you'd get into one of the, the minor leagues, and then you hopefully get signed. It, it, I mean, it's similar to, like, baseball and stuff like that, just, uh, I guess, a little bit different. But he invited us to a show at Rotary Park in Livonia, Michigan. And so I was like, we went on a Saturday, because I was into it. It's wrestling. These guys set up a ring. <laughs> essentially what they did was had stakes in the ground and ropes and they were wrestling on the grass there was no mats there was no padding um, there were some tables and whatever and we were going to see Sensational Steve meet the guys but a friend of ours named Jay Savage yes that's his real name Jay Savage who worked at South Lion High School at the time, he was a janitor, but I, but I mean, he was more than that, but he was in charge of, you know, the custodial duties. Um, and so he ran a team and all that. He wanted to be a wrestler. He was a fan there and I knew he was a fan and we would talk to him about wrestling in high school, but I didn't know that he was going to be debuting his character, Bad Moon. I think Bad Moon Rising was his name. And he was like a cross between like the ultimate warrior meets Sting meets Hogan. I don't know. And he was going to debut there. But these guys were wrestling in a park. No permits or nothing. <laughs> Literally on grass. They, they couldn't even climb the rope. They had to get a chair outside of the rope to jump off of it. <laughs> so I show up and I'm, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But I'm, I'm, I'm here, let's enjoy it, Steve's cool. And I start meeting the guys, and they're all very cool. They're all very cool people. And I watch the show. I actually have it on tape somewhere. And I watch Jay wrestle. And I'm looking, and I'm like, some of these guys have zero talent. I mean, they just don't. They're just not good. But some of these guys are good. So we start really kind of bonding. We would get together and go to pay-per-views together. We'd get together and watch Raws together. And there's like 30 guys. Uh, we'd start crashing at each other's places. We'd meet up for lunch. We'd start, you know, planning the next AWOL shows. 
Well, Jay got permission to do an AWOL show at South Lyon High School in the auditorium to sell tickets. The proceeds, though, I believe were going back to the school. And we had to make sure there was no games that night or we had to do it after a basketball game. And we're thinking to ourselves, we can't sit here and show up with no ring. So we rented a ring and put together a show. And we would have storyline meetings where we were sitting there writing storylines, advertising the show. It was on the radio, it was in the newspaper, handing out flyers. Of course, what better opportunity to put on a fun show and make it a success by doing it at the high school that you work and the high school you went to. So I knew I could get 50 people there. My buddies get 50 people there. I mean, the place is packed. And we, we did it. Well, I remember that day, I really wanted to be involved. I liked the marketing side of it and I liked the creative side of it, but I wanted to be involved. And I, look guys, you know, if you don't know me and you've never seen me before, I'm not a big dude, okay? I feel like I've been the same height since like eighth grade. I'm not big, I'm five, five and a half at best. Although they put five, six on my license. So I'm gonna take five, six, you know? I'm like 160 pounds. I think now I'm 155 pounds. I'm not a big dude. I never have been, never cared to be. I don't care. So I knew I wasn't gonna wrestle, but I liked, I liked being involved. I liked the marketing, obviously the writing, being able to write these storylines. They wanted me to be a ref. They needed a ref. A referee bailed. Now I've refereed things in my life, but I don't know the first thing about refereeing a professional wrestling match. Even though these guys are, when I say professional wrestling, it's very loosely. Because again, these guys aren't training. Some of them knew how to take a bump and some of them knew how to take a fall. We'd probably kill ourselves. So I refed. I was referee B. Because everybody called me B. Everybody, that's B. What up, B? We love you, B. Referee B. Which was funny because I was the second ref and Jeremy was the first ref. So it was like A and B. And I refed. And I remember being in that ring and it was unreal to me. I remember hearing them hit the mat, running on those ropes and just watching it. And it was amazing. Now we looked back that night and watched it on tape and we realized how bad we were and how, and how we didn't know if we were gonna be able to pull this off again. But then they upped the game. They upped the game and these guys were getting trained. The Brooklyn Brawler from WWF was training these guys. He was also Doink the Clown at the time, too, but he had been in the business forever. He may not have been a big thing. He may have been a jobber is what they call it, but he was training these guys. He was giving them the basics, the locks, the bumps, how to run the routes. And then they were getting trained by other wrestlers, professional wrestlers, paying to get trained. And we started to branch out and grab more guys in. We had, a, we had a, a, a guy, and his name was Mr. Meaner. And he was a cop, Mr. Meaner. That was his gimmick. And I mean, it was huge. It started to get bigger. Then it got to the point where we were done renting a ring. We bought a ring. And we bought mats. And the high school continued to allow us to do it there. Not only did the high school do it there, we went to other venues, other, you know, I don't want to say like YMCA's, but other venues to do it there, to do our shows. And then we started to get recognized by other organizations out there that had been doing professional wrestling for some time. And so we'd, we'd pull guys from there and do crossovers. We had guys coming from Canada, Chicago, Ohio. And we're putting 200 people at the, at the South Lyon High School on a Friday night. And then I started to get involved as a referee B, yes, but involved in the storylines where I was costing people matches. Now, they, and it never got to the point where we got to finish the storyline, but I would cost certain groups matches. And I'll never forget the day they came to me and said, look, they're going to cost you a match 
You're going to cost these guys a match. They're going to get mad and pile drive you. And I had to train to learn how to get pile driven on a mat so I didn't die. Mind you, again, this is not like Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, the big boys doing this to me. This is a guy that's just been training for a couple months. He slips, I break my neck, I'm dead or paralyzed. And I did it. And I remember my buddy Jeremy saying, dude, don't do it. And I'm like, whatever, I'm doing it. And it was awesome. And it worked out great. But then it started to happen again. So I screwed them again, you know, by missing a count or something like that. And they put me through a table. They threw me out of the ring. I, I was getting my bucket. And eventually what was going to happen was I was going to turn on them and it was going to show that I was getting paid off by the other guys. And that's why they lost the match. Unfortunately, though, in a horrible turn of events, AWOL, uh, which we later changed to war, um, fell apart, got disbanded. A lot of the guys left. And there was a lot of internal drama, and I'm not going to get into it, but uh, guys moved, guys left, some guys joined other organizations, and that was the end of it. But during that time, I was a referee getting my butt kicked. I also had a match, one match. There was a guy named <laughs> Slutty Buddy Bordello. Okay, Slutty Buddy Bordello. And he was like a take off Ravishing Rick Rude, except he was kind of chubby and ugly, but he thought he was sexy. It was a funny, a funny moment. He was, and the guy that was supposed to wrestle him wasn't going to show. He couldn't make it. And we had a week till the show. So they said, B, why don't you wrestle him? And I hadn't been trained at all. Um, I, I mean, I knew how to take a bump. They taught me how to do the ropes, but I wasn't trained to carry on a match. And what am I going to do? They're going to know my face and I'm supposed to ref that night. So the whole thing was they were going to put a Lucha Libre mask, a Mexican mask on me, except it was going to be silver and sparkly and they were going to call me Silverfish because Silverfish are little tiny microorganisms that live in urinals, allegedly. And I was going to hail from the urinals of South Lyon High School. It was just supposed to be a gimmick. So Silverfish came out and I wore these plastic pleather pants, courtesy of my good friend, Paula Marsica. How I fit into them, I don't know, because she looked a lot better and had a lot more shapes. Anyway, Paula, if you're out there, I'm just saying. Um, and I had the mask on and a tight shirt on. It was very creepy, but I wrestled the match. I lost and I looked horrible and I flip-flopped around the ring the whole time, but I made everybody laugh, you know? And then I came out and, and um, you know, was a referee and nobody knew it was me. I, of course, I think everybody knew, but there was going to be more to that. I was going to, Silverfish was going to come back again and cost somebody the match. And then it was going to be revealed that referee B was Silverfish. Anyway, uh, so we had all these big storylines, but it imploded and, and we never got to do it. But this went on for months. And during that time, during the height of that, we really made a lot of connections with people that worked for WWE, uh, WWF, people that worked at Joe Louis Arena, people that did the hotels by the airport where the wrestlers stayed at, uh, people that worked at Ticketmaster. And there was a news guy, there's a sports uh, writer for the Free Press, I won't say his name because uh, he later got arrested for being a creep, um, and he would cover wrestling. And he bashed us for a long time, but he had legitimate connections to wrestlers. And then eventually he really liked us. And there was a hotline, a wrestling hotline. And the wrestling hotline uh, had three different options. This was back in the day where you meant like the 900 numbers were big and all that. And you had like sports hotlines. You'd call and it was almost like a, a, a show, a podcast or whatever on the hotlines. We were option three. It was option three with B. And I would talk wrestling and stuff like that. But I literally turned it into like the Howard Stern show. I remember going into the girls' locker room, uh, interviewing this, the Southline cheerleaders. Um, I remember, you know, just whatever. It got insane, but it got us followings and ratings. I say ratings, followers and people in attendance and so not only was I a ref, not only did I wrestle, but I had a hotline too back in the day. 
And because of meeting these people and specifically knowing the hotels, we would go to these hotels after the wrestling shows, sometimes before or a day before if it was a big show. And the whole place would be swarming with wrestlers. And I'm not saying we're the only ones there, but it wasn't well, it wasn't well known. And we'd get a hotel room there and they didn't say anything. Plus we knew people there. I can't tell you how many people I met. Hogan, The Big Show, Ric Flair, uh, Rey Mysterio. I saw Rey Mysterio walking around one night aimlessly, I thought he was drunk, in regular clothes and had his mask on. He didn't know where he was going. He's trying to find his keys. The Big Show came in, the giant, Paul White, huge, nicest, gentlest giant I've ever seen in my life. Gave me the biggest hug in the world. I felt like a little baby in his arms. I just wanted to curl up and go to bed there, like Thumbelina. I mean, it was unreal. Um, Hogan was not that great to meet, but guys like Triple H, I mean, we met these guys. We met all these guys. The Undertaker, yeah, no. Scary in person, don't ever want to talk to him. By the way, he won't talk to you. But some of these guys would just kick it with you. Ric Flair told us, hey, I'll be back later. And he came back down later and talked forever and then said, hey guys, I'm gonna go have some drinks and went and drank at the bar with Triple H. We would do this all the time. We would do it with WCW guys. And it was great and we became tight with some of these guys, with some of the roadies and some of the crew. So we get all these inside tips. And then other wrestling organizations started to come along like ECW. Extreme Championship Wrestling based out of Philadelphia. I mean, they go to New York, they go to Philly. Run by Paul Heyman, who I'm sure you've seen and heard the name. He's with Barack. Barack. Yeah, he's with Barack Obama. He's with Brock Lesnar and now Roman Reigns. But we started to really get into ECW. Now, ECW didn't venture out very much. But they were violent. Barbed wire matches, chairs, flaming tables, kendo sticks. They swore a lot. Girls were might as well be strippers and half naked. Sometimes they were. It was exactly what they said. It was not your sugar-coated Hulk Hogan stuff. But you had a lot of guys over there who are now in the big leagues. Chris Jericho, Shane Douglas, Rey Mysterio was there, the Dudley Boys. Uh, Takamishinoku, I mean, Taz, I, I, you know, Sid Vicious, like, or Psycho Sid, but all these guys were over there. Lance Storm. Um, anyway, ECW was huge, and ECW came to Michigan. It was, it was literally in, like, a, a local rec center. And I remember being third row for ECW, probably paid $15 a ticket. These guys were so small. I mean, they were bigger than us. They were bigger than AWOL and and WAR at the time. But these guys were so small that some of the wrestlers would work the merchandise stands or the girls would work the merchandise stands before the show started, then go do the show. And I remember we watched the show and I literally had Sabu fly off the top rope and land in the chair in front of me breaking it. They didn't care violence. They, they would literally look at you and tell you, get the F out of my way because they were about to be violent. It was awesome. And I remember walking out of that show one night and I was calling my buddy who didn't make it. And I was like, dude, we're coming to tell you about it. We bought this for you, but you have no idea what you're missing. And I saw Tommy Dreamer, one of the big dudes there, breaking down the ring. So they, they, had, they had road crews but the wrestlers were breaking down the ring and he got locked out of the building. And, and he was pissed and nobody was answering. And I knew where another door was to get in. So I walked over to Tommy and I said, hey, Tommy, great show. Come with me. I mean, we walked around that entire building to get him inside. I talked to him for a long time, what seemed forever. He signed autographs. He took pictures, gave me a shirt. 
and I saw him again at the next ECW show, and he remembered it. Not only did I see him at the next ECW show, I saw him at the next three ECW shows when ECW got big, and he kept on saying, hey, man, I'm going to stick by you in case I get locked out. It was like a running joke with Tommy Dreamer. I remember sneaking backstage, and this is why I should make this a three-parter, but I, or a two-parter. I remember sneaking backstage at Joe Louis Arena, because we knew the security guard and he just looked away and we walked backstage and acted like we were supposed to be there. And I saw Stone Cold Steve Austin drinking a beer. He just walked right by me, hey guys, boom. I saw Kane, we saw the referees. And next thing you know, as we're walking, I feel somebody standing next to me and I look and it's The Rock. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in the presence of the great one. And he has a box power bars and this is back when power bars had like two flavors like chocolate chip and peanut butter and they were thick and whatever he's ripping the power bars open and he's huge he's ripping the power bars open and just mowing them like two bites power bar gone next one power bar gone and I'm looking and he looks at me he's like you're not supposed to be here are you and I go yeah I am and he goes really and I was like crap I was like the rock's about to rock bottom me through the through the glass window here and I said, well, I feel like I'm supposed to be here, don't you? He's like, yeah, I, I am supposed to be here. He's like, well, I'm going to give you a little pointer. Keep walking this way. Don't go left. That's where Vince is. Vince sees you. You'll be in jail. And I'm like, is that a challenge, Rock? And he's like, have a good night, brother. And then he like gave me one of the pats on the back that I felt like his hand was going to go through my shoulder, through my chest, and into the cement because he's a ginormous beast and then he ate his third power bar first off i don't know what type of man eats those power bars like that that's insane to me but that was the rock needless to say i didn't go left i didn't want to get thrown in jail and i didn't want to meet vince mcmahon that way so i left but we did we went backstage multiple times talked to guys you know gold dust or dusty roads you know we talked to these guys on a regular basis um, do they know who I am now? Of course not. Did some of them start to recognize us? Yes, because much like soccer, it's a cult following. And, and, and in small groups. Nowadays, it's changed so much that I don't think I'd be able to do half the stuff that I did back in the day. You know, sneaking backstage, I'd probably go to jail. And then again, if you can breach the Capitol. But anyway, I digress. Um, and I don't think that, you know, going to the hotels, I started to see the staff change at hotels and the wrestlers would go to different hotels. It started to change very much. But there was a time in its heyday where I got to meet all these people. You know, Goldberg, I met Goldberg, I met Kevin Nash, I met Lex Luthor, you know, Buff Bagwell, Mr. Perfect before he died. I mean, we saw all these guys, Raven, Macho Man Randy Savage before he died. We met all these guys. Sometimes just at a bar. Sometimes at an actual autograph signing. Sometimes at a show. Sometimes they would just be at a gas station near the hotel. Or we'd just get a hotel room and hang out and talk all night. And I remember spending three, four hours sitting in a bar talking to random wrestlers. Not just about, not, not really about wrestling, just about stuff. And it was just a really cool moment. The last wrestling show I went to was in Texas a few years ago when WrestleMania came to Texas and came to AT&T Stadium. Over 103,000 people. And it was one of the coolest events I've ever been to in my life. Um, I don't know if I'll ever go back to wrestling. I love wrestling. You know, maybe one day Luke will appreciate it and, and I'll have a reason to go. Uh, I know Ken and I, you know, would go probably once in a while. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I enjoy being at the comfort of my own home and watching it. Um, I still watch it. I haven't watched it as much lately. It's kind of eh. It's been weird without the crowd and all that. But um, I'm still into it. I still keep up with it. Now, WCW's long gone. ECW's long gone. Uh, WWF is the only one there besides, the, you know, the new one. What is it, AEW or whatever? And I'm, I'm not quite sold on them yet. And then, of course, there's a bunch of Japanese stuff. But I think one day maybe I'll go back for the nostalgia's sake. But if not, 
I've been to two WrestleManias. I was there when Donald Trump punched Vince McMahon back in Detroit. Um, yeah, he was there. He was in Stone Cold Steve Austin's corner. Your president for the next few weeks or days or whatever <laughs> was in WWE. Not once, but twice. Actually, three times. But um, So there's a lot of history there. It's really cool. I don't think any of these wrestlers would know me from Adam at all. I mean, I think my safest bet would be Tommy Dreamer. Uh, but I doubt it. They've all been bumped on the head so many times. And some of these guys are dead now. So it wouldn't mean anything, but obviously. But during this three, four-year span where we were involved with wrestling and hotlines and going to shows, we were hitting every show. If there was, there was literally one time, and then I'm going to get going, there was one time WCW and Raw were coming within a week of each other. No. Yes, a week of each other. I went to a WWF show that accidentally brought my WCW ticket because I knew the people and we just snuck in. They didn't say anything. And then the next week, used the same WCW ticket to go to the WCW show because we knew people. There was a time in a month we went to five shows (laughs) in a month because we went to SmackDown, we went to Raw, we went to Nitro, we went to Thunder, and then they had a house show. Or I think it was Thunder, and I don't know. But we went to five shows in one month. I mean, we knew if there was a show coming, we were going, and chances are we were getting the best seats in the house. I even have a chair from War Games, or World War III, I think it's called. Eh, maybe it was War Games. From WCW. No, it's a Monday Nitro chair. Because we were second row, and you got to take the chair home. I still have that chair. And it wasn't just like a folding chair. I mean, it was black, comfortable, like padded, WCW logo on it, the date, the time, where you were at, what show it was. I have that chair still. Up until recent, I had had most of my action figures in package still until I sold some, and I'm saving some for Luke. And then gave Luke some of the open ones. But anyway, point is, it's been a huge part of my life. I've been grateful to meet all these people and to be re- and to wrestle and, and have a hotline um, to get thrown through a table. I get very little training, but it was fun. Um, there's, there, there's literally pictures of me in the Detroit Free Press wrestling in the school paper um, and in professional wrestling magazines. When they talk about the local section, they're in there. I do an interview about the show. Me and Jay do an interview. And somebody's got that magazine somewhere. I'm sure you can find a copy of it. But it's been fun, and uh, that's just, you know, part of my life as an average Joe. So anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Sorry if you don't like wrestling and you think this episode sucks. But, uh, wow, I went longer than I wanted to. Man, I still had so many stories to tell. Oh, well. Anyway, guys, I appreciate it. You guys have a great night. Be safe. Have a great weekend. Let's make this year better than last year. Happy birthday, Bowie. Happy birthday, Elvis. And I will see you guys soon. Thank you very much.